Today on the Cineos Health Podcast, we'll be talking about the Dealmakers Intention Study and the BioInternational Conference. BioInternational is in Boston this year, and as we release this, we will be at the BioInternational Conference releasing our 10th annual Dealmakers Intention Study. I'm Jeff Stewart, your host from Cineos Health Consulting. I'm joined today by two people from Cineos Health Consulting, Sachin Perwar is a director at Cineos Health Consulting, and Neil Patel is a managing director at Cineos Health Consulting. Sachin, Neil, and I have worked together for many years to help companies to in-license and out-license their products, and we've all been co-authors on the Dealmaker's Intention Study, which is in its 10th year. The Dealmaker's Intention Study, 10 years on, next on the Cineos Health Podcast. Neil Patel, Sachin Perwar, welcome to the Cineos Health Podcast. Hi, Jeff. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Jeff. Neil, before we get anywhere into the conversation, just tell me, what is Dealmaker's Intentions? We're in the 10th year of Dealmaker's Intentions. What is it? The Dealmaker's Intentions study is a report that looks at the expectations of pharmaceutical executives around licensing and acquisitions in the upcoming year. Okay, that's interesting and helps us to know where we are. We've been doing this for 10 years. I've been an author. You've been an author. Sachin's been an author. We've all been authors on this study over different years. You guys are authors this year. And we've learned something over those past 10 years. It's kind of interesting to look back. Neil Sutchin, as we've gone back over the last 10 years, what have we seen that's changed and what have we seen that's stayed the same? As we look back, some of the most interesting changes that we've seen in this study over time is the increased fragmentation of the industry. What we mean by that is more and more companies are holding on to assets longer. Many are leveraging and the alternative to go alone. Some of this is driven by a more robust financing environment. Also, the selection of molecules are increasingly in more specialized fields, which require smaller commercial footprints. And so a lot of those assets are being held and commercialized by the smaller companies. What's stayed the same and somewhat sadly is oncology assets since the inception has been in the highest demand they continue to be in highest demand, but what has changed about oncology is that inventory by the sellers, so emerging companies that are looking to partner or sell assets in oncology, has started to eclipse the demand. So while oncology, even this year, continues to be the highest demand therapeutic area amongst buyers, when you look at relative demand to seller inventory or assets that are available, oncology actually ends up being on the lower end of the spectrum. So this is like a realty index where we look at the number of houses that are on the market, not just the number of sales that are accomplished, but how much of an inventory there is. And we're looking at the share of buyers and sellers that are either looking for different oncology assets and those that are trying to sell different oncology assets. And your answer is that, as we've seen in some cases, in many cases over the last few years, is that the demand is very high for oncology assets, but the supply is even higher. Am I understanding that correctly? That is correct. What does that mean for oncology? I mean, we've seen certainly that on oncology assets have been some of the highest price acquisitions that we've seen within the industry, sometimes at very early stages. Immuno-oncology has been extremely hot, continues to be hot. What does this mean going forward for oncology companies? Demand is still very high. I think what's happened is in many of the larger companies, increased focus and specialization over the past few years including large swaps of entire franchises or assets among some of the large players. And so there's just fewer companies fully focused in oncology. So there's a bit of a concentration that's occurred 
there. In terms of sellers, they have to be just very mindful of the asset that they're pursuing and making sure that some of the core mechanics of commercial success are being considered. Things like a patient-subpatient population targeting, really making sure that unmet needs are being addressed or met through your asset and that there's not a me-too sort of aspect with non-differentiation in your product, just given all of that fragmentation. It's very unlikely that you'll be able to get a lucrative deal in place. You may proceed through clinical development and even get regulatory approval, but you may not achieve commercial success as a result. Sachin, as you've looked over the past 10 years, I think collectively we've worked on either all of the 10 years or maybe nine of the 10 years on the dealmaker's intention studies. What do you see as the big pictures, the big changes that have happened over your time looking at dealmaker's intentions and being a co-author? Well, the one thing I'm seeing is obviously it's just been a hot market. I mean, we're in a bull run right now. M&A and partnering has been very strong over the last five, six years, especially Financing has been extremely lucrative in the past several years because, you know, they're seeing the returns. There's strong exits in the market. There's a pretty robust IPO environment. So bottom line is there's just a lot of activity. So I think it's unprecedented in in what we've been seeing. And I think that's really the driving factor for a lot of the activity that we're seeing is it's really the availability of cash, especially with some of the tax changes as well as the repatriation of capital. There's a lot more buyers, it seems, that are looking to make a return on their investment. It is a great year, but it's not as great a year as 2015, and neither was 2017 or 2016. 2015 was the kind of watermark year. Is that correct? And what's changed since? Certainly from the M&A and partnering standpoint, 2015 was a breakout year. And to Sachin's point earlier around the financing environment, I mean, we've seen a significant increase really started in 2014 through 2017. And even if we project through 2018, that a significant increase in the private financing rounds and principally driven by Series A, Series B. And so that what this is telling us is company formation has really accelerated in the last four to five years. And it'll be interesting to see that evolve. That company formation was largely catalyzed by exits, so M&A and IPOs in the preceding years. But it'll be interesting to see how this evolves in the coming years because there will be a significant number of companies in the marketplace. If this financing environment was to dry out, what we may see an environment akin to what we saw in 2009, 2010, where things were really slowed down. On the flip side, if exits continue, then we can see increased amounts of private financing because the venture funds will be able to reinvest based off of those exits. One of the things I found really interesting in the Dealmaker's Intention study this year, and indeed every year, is really to look at what areas are hot and which areas are not hot, which areas that are specifically named by buyers as places that are upcoming areas, and then also where there's the most of a seller's market versus a buyer's market. Where would you want to have an asset? I know we talked briefly about oncology. Oncology used to be in the seller's market side often, depending on what phase you were in. It is now in the buyer's market side. In fact, it's the one that is the highest on a buyer's market side. I just want to comment on where the market is kind of sitting in terms of therapeutic areas, hot technologies. When we take a look at the expectation of for deals by therapeutic area, I mean, you're right. Every year we have a strong buyer's market and seller market for different therapeutic areas. The one that really jumped out, as discussed before, this year was the oncology. I mean, it's just tremendous. The supply surplus that we have this year 
Other areas where we have a supply surplus are infectious disease, both for antiviral and antibiotics. And then where we're seeing a seller's market where you have more buyers out there is in the renal space, as well as respiratory, pulmonology, hematology, as well as ophthalmology and women's health. And then when we take a look at areas that are designated as hot areas for licensing in 2018, the ones that really jump from the previous few years is immuno-oncology, which we obviously know has a lot of deal activity and a lot of innovation, as well as the microbiome space. This is the first year that that is, has been as part of the uh, survey, and that's number four as far as areas that are the hottest for licensing. Another area that's very hot is RNA inhibitors, uh, which is new to the survey this year. Some of the ones that are carryovers from the year past, which you know, I think are not surprising to people, is the CAR T cell therapy, CRISPR-Cas9, cancer vaccines, as well as ultra-rare diseases. What do we think about how pricing has changed, how people think about what drugs that they're interested in buying or interested in selling? Have we seen that? We know there are pricing pressures out there. And then maybe that's an unfair question, but I'm curious to see what you guys think, just kind of given what's hot, what's not, et cetera. Has anything changed for us and how we think about things? We are not seeing pricing pressure for therapeutics as being a factor that's impacting deal making. In fact, most of the deal making is coming from financing. We've been asking about price and its effect on deal making for a few years now, and it's been consistently rated pretty low as a factor affecting deal making. While pricing, I think, certainly has long term implications to the industry, there's a little bit more of a short term bias in thinking as it's related to deal making that's driving why it's not a significant factor. Pricing pressure that we're witnessing in in the U.S. and Europe is likely to manifest related to deal-making in valuation, sort of at the tail end of the deal-making, so to speak, but not as much as a factor in whether or not to pursue deals or the number of deals. What does it take to get a deal done? How hard is it to get a deal done? Is that changing? And what are the barriers to getting a deal done? What are we finding out from deal-makers' intentions? So this is something that we've asked in years past, and I think the general consensus is still the same, that most of the times the deals fail because there's a different opinion of commercial potential, and obviously they just can't find a common ground with respect to deal terms. And that seems to be kind of consistent through the years. But what we are noticing this year is that it is becoming much harder to close deals, whereas the conversion rates generally hovered in the 5%. Right now, it's dropped to 1.8%. And the main thing being, once a deal progresses to CDA, there are actually lower conversions to term sheet as well as completed transactions than what we've seen in the years past. So this is telling us that there's a lot of talking going on, but the diligence just may not be there or there's some other factors, as we discussed before, people just aren't able to align. And it could be just the level of risk has gone up or that people are thinking about risk a little bit more, especially from the buyer side, and they're not finding the right partner or right deal in place that's going to make this valuable for them. Just to highlight one thing you said, Sachin, you start out with, say, 100 deals that you're looking at if you're a buyer, and by the end of this process, you're down to one or two deals that you actually sign. It's even worse than clinical trials in terms of being able to make it to the end point of a deal. And I don't think people appreciate how hard it is. You might think of your one or two buyers as being your best buyers, but in reality, you're going to have to take a lot of shots on coal if you're ever going to make it to the end of this one. Neil, you also had a comment. Go ahead. Yeah, the other point of counsel I guess we would provide on all this is that we've seen a drop 
in the latter phases of deal making. So once a term sheet has been issued and thereafter, for sellers, just because you have got a term sheet, there's still a pretty good likelihood that the deal may not progress and not to take their eye off the ball, even though they're in the latter phases of deal making, that they should continue to be vigilant about responding to the potential partner's requests and needs and pushing forward through to completion of the transaction. One of the things that I really noticed within the survey is that in phase three in marketed assets, we still have pretty high demand, and that's been true for a long time, and where the demand is typically outstripping the supply. Tell me where things were last year on preclinical phase one, phase two in general, where these buyer's markets, where the seller's markets, and then what are they now? Have they changed? Well, what we saw last year was a huge supply surplus for preclinical that's typically the case. People start developing assets, they want to sell it right away. But what was interesting this year is that we saw a shift from preclinical to phase one and phase two. So just to put it in context, we had a lot of supply last year in preclinical, but now the supply is shifting towards phase one and phase two. And sellers are holding on to their assets much longer. So the relative demand at the preclinical level shifted dramatically to being more of a seller's market now with limited supply, and then phase one and phase two are now buyer's market, where traditionally there were seller's market in the past. And we're attributing that to financing. That's easier to get financing. People are choosing or electing to hold onto their risk or develop the assets farther and get a better payout. Is that where we're, our heads are on why this is happening? We obviously see the numbers, but why? That is the hypothesis. I mean, like I mentioned before, it's a favorable deal environment. There's high premiums. I think having that access to capital allows them to stay in the game a little bit longer and and get a greater return on their investment. I mean, maybe also a confluence of factors, including the buyers are moving earlier in the risk life cycle, either the competitive pressure that they just need to go earlier in order to get access to some technologies, as well as their, their demand may be shifted over there. And they find themselves with more capital to deploy. And once they've allocated an area of focus, they're willing to place bets earlier in in development. So it's likely to be a confluence of both the financing environment where companies are waiting to get to a more meaningful inflection point because they have more financing available, as well as demand and competition for some of these assets have, have driven the buyers to look more earlier. We're all going to Bio International this year. What's at Bio International? Why do companies go there? And why is Bio International the place that we release the Dealmakers Intention Survey every year? Bio International is the largest conference for our industry for deal making. There's a, a large partnering effort through the system that they have there. And so a lot of dealmakers, CEOs, corporate development, business development executives go to the industry to either initiate contact, continue discussions largely around the deal space. And so for us, releasing dealmakers at Bio is a major event. Uh, We embargo the content up until the release in in partnership with Bio, really to take a look back at the dealmaking environment, as well as take the results from the study to look forward into anticipated activity in the coming 12 months. Neil Patel, Sachin Perwar, it's been a pleasure having you on the Senior Health Podcast. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. That's all for today's episode of the Cineos Health Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. If you have comments, suggestions, questions, or if you just want to talk to a particular challenge that you have at your life sciences company, you may email me at podcast 
at SynosHealth.com. That's S-Y-N-E-O-S Health.com. We're consultants. That's what we do. 